Black Women to Watch is on a mission to tackle the underrepresentation of Black women. We seek to celebrate those who are power rising through the ranks by amplifying their voices and their stories. These women run companies, transform industries, and are the very backbone of our democracy. Amazing in their own right, they are distinguished leaders, and through their journey, we uncover the keys of inspiration. As Vice President Kamala Harris said, Black women are often too often overlooked. And at Black Women to Watch, we're changing the game. Every industry has its list of people to watch. But our next guest is being watched by everyone. Over the course of her career, Bozema St. John has earned a formidable reputation as a trailblazing marketing and advertising executive. Today, she serves as the global chief marketing officer at Netflix, the world's leading streaming entertainment service. Prior to Netflix, Bozema has held executive positions at some of the world's biggest companies, including Endeavor, Uber, Apple Music and iTunes, Pepsi, Ashley Stewart, and many more. Her flawless execution has caught the attention of several professional achievement profiles, including Billboard's Women in Music Hall of Fame, Hollywood Reporter's Women in Entertainment Power 100, Billboard's Top Executive 40 Under 40, and Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People, just to name a few. Beyond the work, Bozema's story relates to so many because she is living proof of the power of authenticity. She doesn't shy away from sharing the experiences that shaped her, including the loss of her husband, Peter, in 2013, and her experience as a single mother to 12-year-old daughter, Lael. In 2020, Bozema launched the Share the Mic Now initiative on Instagram, where 52 Black women took over the Instagram feeds of 52 white women with large platforms, further magnifying Black women and the important work that they're doing in order to catalyze change. The campaign was incredibly successful and collected over 17 billion impressions. Now, I met Bozema in 2016 and have learned so much from her ever since. And over the course of the last few years, her words of wisdom have inspired this very podcast with the hopes of helping other Black women who are navigating their professional journeys. Lean in, y'all. This is a good one. I am so excited to welcome you to Black Women to Watch. This is just an exciting moment for me. We've you know, known each other for so many years. So to be able to have you as a guest on my baby, my podcast is really important to me. So thank you and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I appreciate it. <laughs> Wonderful. So every episode, we start by asking our guests their six-word memoir. And their six-word memoir is just six words that they say to themselves. Perhaps it's an affirmation. It can be funny, introspective, reflective, really anything that speaks to you. And so I'm curious, what is your six-word memoir? Well, this one is kind of easy for me because I'm actually writing my memoir. Um, so I'm I'm cheating a little bit, <laughs> but it has been my mantra for a number of years. And so it's probably not going to come as a surprise to you or anyone who has followed my journey over the last few years. Mine is to live life urgently every day. Live life urgently every day. Mm-hmm. And you've done just that. Yes. How did that become your memoir? What What led you to living by that? 
I know there's so many different things, but when you think about that, the culmination of that is sort of your life journey. Mm-hmm. How does that, you know, become something that's so important? Well, I mean, life, you know, life, life does that. Obviously, you know, if you know my journey, you know that I've suffered loss in many different types of ways, profound and sometimes small. You know, I think um, for all of us, we go through life with a series of ups and downs and traumas and triumphs and all the things. But it's about learning how to thrive in spite of it and sometimes because of it, you know, finding the motivation to do that. And so to live life urgently is simply a a reminder and a call to action, you know, that no day is wasted. I think that some of the phrases that have long probably lived with us that inspired that thought, we don't actually pay attention to. You know, people say, live every day like it's your last, kind of depressing. (laughs) Or you say, carpe diem. You're like, okay, well, that's Latin. That's not even my language, you know? (laughs) But to think about living life urgently is simply to remember that, yeah, time is sometimes just a figment of thought. You know, it's a moving thing. It's a living thing. It's not as if it's just, you know, there for the taking whenever you feel like it. It's like, no, it's actually active. Whether or not you do something, right? You could be sitting still and the time will still pass. Or you can be chasing your dreams and the time will pass. You know, I think about that all the time. I'm like, you know, this idea that the time will pass anyway. So why not just do it? You know, get up, go do the thing that you want to do. What are you waiting for? Absolutely. You know, and that even in the big things, it feels scarier because you're just like, oh, well, when, how am I going to do that? You know, what are the steps to get there? But how many of us, like with the small things, we also sit around and procrastinate? Now, I'm not charging anyone with procrastination or pointing fingers because Lord knows I pointed right back at myself. (laughs) I am a huge procrastinator. And so in that, it is a call to action, even for myself to remember to keep moving, keep going, keep chasing the small things and the big things. I love it. Live life urgently every single day. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. I want to start at the beginning. One of the things that anyone who has seen you, met you in person, followed your journey the one thing that we all know about you is that you are unapologetically you and your journey to that confidence in being who you are and showing up every single day as you is really insightful. I think one of the things that you've said in several different instances was this idea of you can't be anybody else, so you might as well be yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a lot of women, a lot of women of color, a lot of Black women in particular we struggle with this balance of, you know, feeling like in certain circles, we don't see people who look like us in the corporate world and the professional world. As we look mm-hmm. to climb the bar, we don't often see people who look like us. And sometimes that doesn't give us the permission to feel like it's okay to be authentically ourselves. Mm. And so I'm curious about your journey to that discovery. As I referenced earlier, part of it is you couldn't be anyone else, so you might as well be yourself. But I'm also mm-hmm. curious beyond that to understand, you know, how did you come to this radical confidence in, I am just going to be me. And that is, you know, you love it or hate it. And I know the skills that I bring, but I'm absolutely confident. And you're going to get this authentic me every single day. How did you come to that level of confidence? Oh, well, that's a journey in and of itself, right? (laughs) Because I think that there are some epiphany moments and there are some things that kind of come to you slowly over time, right? Because you kind of have to get used to the idea, warm up to it. And so... 
there are a number of inflection points that have landed me here. And by the way, I don't think I'm done, right? I think there's more that I probably still hold back that the world deserves. <laughs> you know, I laugh with my friends sometimes and I'm like, man, I can't wait to see like 80-year-old bows, man. Ooh, <laughs> it's going to be one hell of a firecracker. Like, what are you going to tell me? Like, nothing, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> It's like the world should beware. When I get to that point, woo, girl, please. But in the early years of my career, I tried, like everyone else, you know, to fit in, to fit into the standard that I thought was needed to succeed, right? I looked ahead. I looked above. I looked at those who were just in front of me. What are they doing that I'm not doing? What do they have that I don't have? And then I tried to emulate those things. It's a very painful lesson that in spite of or despite trying to blend in and trying to emulate, they still saw me as other. Mm. I was never one of them. It didn't matter. I could slick back my hair. I could talk in a more gentle voice. (laughs) I could sit on my hands so I didn't gesture so much. I could try to not reference things in culture that I knew they didn't get. You know, I could try all those things and they still saw me as other. And so I realized I was like, well, hell, if they're not going to be fooled by this elaborate pretense that I have fallen victim to because somebody else told me that I needed to do that, if that's not going to work, then I might as well stop trying that. And it wasn't defeatist. You know, I did lay down my sword. I didn't feel defeated in that. Mm. I laid down my sword and picked up a daggone rifle. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, y'all gonna get this, you know? And it was painful. It was so painful. You know, it's like, who doesn't want to be accepted? Who wants to wake up and realize that like, oh man, I'm never going to be in the in crowd. Nobody wants to feel that. None of us. You didn't want to feel when you were five on the playground. You didn't want to feel when you were 16 trying to get invited to dance. You don't want to feel it at 25 when you were trying to make a career. Nobody wants to feel it at any point in time in life. And so it was painful. But I realized that it was more painful for me to continue the pretense, Mm. to try and be this thing. It was draining and it was frustrating. And sometimes it was confusing. I'd stumble on my words, trying to find their words. You know, I'd show up in their clothes Mm. and it would be so tight and itchy that I'd be uncomfortable in my own goddamn skin. Like, wow. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I got to discard this. And you know what? And if they discard me, then I wasn't meant for this thing. And that is painful because I'm looking at it like, but y'all got the thing I want. And so if you're not letting me in the club and I feel badly about myself and I don't fit in, that (laughs) feels like rejection. And none of us want to be rejected. But the thing that changed for me, and I remember that morning like it was yesterday, waking up and looking at that pantsuit I was going to put on, that blouse I had ironed the night before. And it was like almost like physically I couldn't do it. Mm. You know, it felt like I was going to put on like a 50 pound suit that would hold me down. That's what it is. 
Figuratively and literally. Yeah. That is exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And so that morning, <laughs> I had just bought this like top that I really loved. It was floral, had these big sleeves. I felt so bomb when I tried it on and bought it. And I needed to pick me up, you know, to just go to the office that day. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm just put this on, put it on with a skirt. I walked into the office and I felt better. The whole day was better. And you know what? People commented on my shirt. They did. So I won't pretend as if I walked in, people like, oh, normal. No, they were like, oh, what the hell do you have on? But I felt better. And the next day, I wore something else that made me feel good. Because I was like, oh, you know what? I felt good yesterday. So let me just try this again. And I realized that this sounds superficial because we're talking about clothes. Yeah. But it is a deeper lesson because the consequence of that is that everything else started to also show up in my authenticity, right? Because now I was showing up, not wearing the things that they wore because I knew it didn't matter anyway. So then in meetings, I would just say whatever in the hell was on my mind because I couldn't talk in their language anyway. They didn't accept that. It still sounded like it was coming out the mouth of a black girl. Sometimes it still scared them. Like my passion still put people ill at ease. And so I jumped on that. And I was like, you know what? Like, if I don't succeed at this, and I'm going to have to figure something else out. You know what? We as Black women, we always figure it out. So I was just like, I was coming to terms with rejection. And in that came my freedom. Yes. And so after that, I was like, okay, good. Fine. Y'all don't want to accept me the way that I was trying so hard to be one of y'all. Then I'm going to just be myself and I'm going to do that. And miraculously, I was better. I mean... Who'd have thunk? (laughs) Who'd have thunk? I was more creative. I was more spontaneous. I was sharper, quicker, faster than them because I was no longer just trying so hard to like think of the right thing to say. I was just saying it without the burden of trying to re like translate it into some other language, something that made other people feel comfortable. So after that, I was gone. I mean, you couldn't catch me. I was out of here, up the stratosphere. So that was point one. That happened, I was 26 years old when that happened. Point two happened a little bit later, probably a decade later, because I'd heard this phrase and I so hate it. It's that phrase that says like, you know, you can't be what you can't see. I hate that line. You know, we've repeated to ourselves and I don't know who started that. I wish we would stop saying that. You know, as if it's like a badge of honor to say that. Like, oh yeah, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So we need more people. Well, who's the person who's supposed to go so you can see them? Who is that person? Do you know how brave that person has to be? You know what they have to endure? So let's not throw that away. Let's not pretend as if that's not something. And that's why every time there's a first Black woman to do X, Y, I'm out in the front lines cheering. Because you know how hard that thing was? I don't care if it's 2022. Because, you know, we hear that too, right? It's 2022. I don't know why we still got to celebrate. We still have to celebrate. We have to cheer that person on. You don't know what they went through in order to get to that place. And so for me, I looked at the opportunity to show up authentically, right? At senior levels, when I started to get promoted into those rooms and realized that I had to show up like that. I had to show up as me because there has to be a shift. Who else is going to do it? Am I waiting for some savior from somewhere to come do it for me? No, I wasn't seeing it either. So what was I going to do? Sit down and just wait for somebody else to come and do it? Why? I have the power. I have the ingenuity. I have the smarts. 
I'm better than the hell the rest of them. So I might as well do it. And so those two moments, those two inflection points are top of mind. But the choice is every day. You know, the choice to be myself is a daily one. It's an active one. It's not passive. You know, it's like in meetings, I have to say the thing that is on my heart and on my mind. And it doesn't get easier when you get into the C-suite. I can guarantee you that because now you have so much pressure of like, you know, lots of teams and the responsibility of the stock market, <laughs> but still having to decide to do it. When you talk about, you know, putting on that pantsuit, it takes me back to the days where, you know, I saw myself only giving permission to myself to wear my hair the way I wanted to wear it on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night, I'm straightening my hair, Mm. going bone straight to get ready for work. So it brings me back to the moments that I forgot about. Yeah. And I remember the first day I wore braids to work. I was so nervous about (laughs) the comments. You know, that was a big defying moment for me in my professional career. And I think to your point, I'm still holding back a lot of who I am, but the Mm -hmm. ability to feel like I can do that. I can come to work the way that I want to come to work. Yeah. I can be vocal. I can speak my mind. I can feel confident in representing, you know, the entirety of who I am and my perspectives and my voice. Mm-hmm. My work product is better. I'm able to fully show up in the way that you all need me to show up. And so I, I love you talking yeah. about that. But I also am, I don't know if it's surprised or, you know, hearing you talk about at the C-suite level, you still have to make that choice every single day and it doesn't get easier. Mm-hmm. It's something that I think a lot of people don't talk about. You think that there's this utopia at the C-suite level of you've made it, right? And yeah. people know who you are, that you're respected for your opinion. People value you in ways that the industry talks about on a day-to-day basis. And so to hear you kind of talk a little bit about that rawness of it's a continuous choice every single day. Mm-hmm the bravery that it takes to be the first to break open those doors is powerful. And I think it reminds us all that this continuous investment in diversifying spaces in the corporate level, whether it's in tech or the like, yeah, is something that is an incredible responsibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think perhaps in the last five years, I've had more criticism mm. about the way I show up than I've ever had in my career. You know, you know how many people tell me like, well, you know, you're, you're C-suite executive at one of the biggest companies in the world. You shouldn't do that. Wow. Even today. Oh, girl, please. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't put bikini photos up. That's kind of basic, isn't it? You shouldn't curse. <laughs> it's so low of you, isn't it? You shouldn't express your opinion about politics because... That's bad for the business. Mm. You know, all of the things. You shouldn't talk about being a single mom because that is embarrassing. What? Are you out of your mind? Like, the thing is that we have all of these perceptions that have been created. And our job, or let me make it personal, my job, on top of everything else that I do, is singularly to do this life, the way I was destined to do it. Not the way you were destined to do it. Not the way Steve Jobs was destined to do it. The way I was destined to do it. And I come with my own unique circumstances. The culture that I was born in, the way that I was raised, the friends that I have, the way I can twerk, okay? All of that is unique to me. And so I have to show up that way. How else is a legacy built? 
You know, you don't borrow a legacy. That's not how it works. You know, you build your own. That's why it's like you can look at somebody's story and say, ah, I can see the moments that they did X, Y, and Z thing. And it made them like, ooh, this thing that lives past their earthly bodies because it was different from everybody else. So then why would I want to be like everybody else? So wild to me. So yeah, so I get those criticisms. And again, you know, I won't pretend as if it's easy to dismiss them because sometimes I do question it, you know, and obviously we all have doubts about the things that we decide and, you know, things we do. So I think about it sometimes and it does make me pause. But then the question I ask myself is, well, is that real to me? Or was I put on a show or like, what was that? And if I feel like it was real, then I'm like, ah, forget it. Right. You know, bump them. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to pretend to be something. I can't do that. You know? So to me, it comes back to this idea of choosing your own joy every day. You know, the thing that makes you happy. It's the same feeling I had at 26 when I put on that shirt with the flowers on it. I chose my joy that day and I chose my joy today. Nothing has changed with that. I love it. I love that. You know, I think one of the things that you and I have spoken about before in the past, and actually, I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. The first time we met, you know, you and I had conversation about a buzzword that I know evokes a lot of emotion from people. And it's the topic of mentorship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we spoke about how, you know, a lot of times people are like, will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? And you said to me, I don't believe in mentorship. I believe in this like shared experiences and learning from each other. But the traditional like, I'm your mentor. This is what you need to do. You don't believe in that. I I was wondering if you can kind of elaborate a little bit on that topic, because I found that to be such a refreshing perspective, (laughs) because I think the industry teaches you that you need to have someone who's instructing you on the ways to go so you can avoid mistakes. You need someone Mm -hmm. who's done it before that you can bounce ideas off of. And I think some of that is helpful and valuable. But I think sometimes we are so narrow in our perspective on mentorship. So I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit. Yes. You ask such rich questions. It's so good. Thank you for that question. It's really, really rich. Okay. So mentorship, right? So there's a couple of ways that I've sort of developed my theory on mentorship. And this actually goes back to the whole authenticity thing, right? Because I'm just like, well, what do I feel versus what everybody else is telling me to do? I hated those awkward conversations with somebody who's supposed to be a mentor. Hated them. I would feel sick going into them. I would be preparing questions that I was just like, oh my gosh, what if I sound like an idiot? You know, like it was so uncomfortable that all I would feel is relief when they were done. I barely learned anything out of those conversations because I was so busy, worried about like, what questions should I ask next? How do I make sure I answer whatever they ask me and sound smart so that they will maybe talk about me well or recommend me to the next thing? Or, you know, like it wasn't a trusting relationship. So I decided that I didn't want any more mentors. Because <laughs> I was like, it doesn't serve me, you know? I felt so awkward and stupid, you know? So I was just like, I don't want any more mentors. And I remember one of my girlfriends was like, girl, how are you going to like, succeed? You need mentors. You need like the top person, you know? Because then they can write your recommendations and what you going to do? And I was like, no, nah, they won't because they don't know me. I keep showing up like somebody, they don't know who I am. They are my friend. And that was like, boom, they're not my friends. I need friends. I need friends. I need ride or dies. I need people who are going to walk with me into the fire and pull me out when I don't even see something coming. That's the kind of relationship I want. 
And that requires time. It requires intention. It requires vulnerability. Trust. You know, so then I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. That's what I need. All right, all right. And I started looking at the world of mentors differently because then it wasn't like I needed the person with the highest title or people tell you to go network. And so you're over here collecting emails and phone numbers and you're writing these, again, these awkward emails to people that are dry because you don't even know what in the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I start to look at like, well, who has something interesting that I want to talk to them about? It literally like picking out a friend, right? You're just like, oh, that person is interesting for some reason. I'd like them. I want to get to know them better, right? More so than like, what does it serve me? It's like, how do I serve them? How do I learn more about them? How do I understand what they're doing? That is actually the unlock. It's not so much like, will they be able to be powerful enough to write me a great recommendation? It's like, I want to learn about their life because what they did was cool as shit. Amazing. I want that. And then the second part of it was I realized that mentors were not always great when they were far ahead of me because mm. they had no idea what the hell I was talking about. You know, they were too removed from my situation to understand. And they would give me advice sometimes. And I was just like, that's not very practical because uh, that's not how it works anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. Right. So then I was just like, OK, I have to talk to my counterparts. And that wasn't like a decision. Like I woke up with one day. It was just like I started talking to you know, my friends in the business who were at my level. And I was like, hey, how did you deal with this thing? Like, you know, I have this boss who's asking me to do X, Y, and Z thing. They don't trust me. Like, what did you do to help gain that trust? You know, and they had much better insight into how they were succeeding than anybody who was ahead of me. And the miraculous thing is that now, because of those relationships that I fostered at people at my level, I have my network of CMOs across this entire industry mm-hmm. is deep and it is real. I can call a bunch of them today in my cell phone and I've known them for 20 years because we all started out together. Mm-hmm. Those other people that I was looking at far ahead, yeah, they're gone. They're retired. They can't help me now. <laughs> you know? So I think part of the mentorship idea is just flipping it on its head. Who can you become friends with? Like real relationships that can be you know, reciprocal and vulnerable. And then also not forgetting that your mentors are also your colleagues, people at your side. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's exactly what you said to me. I don't believe in mentorship. I believe in friendships. Yes. And so I think that that's powerful. And I think a lot of people should consider that perspective because I think to your point, a lot of times when we think about mentors who are several years ahead of us, the experiences are different, the circumstances are different. And so some of the advice is hard to translate. Mm-hmm. So I hope people will take that nugget that you just shared and apply that to their lives if it's appropriate. Speaking of friendships and community, you talked about the CMO community that you are very closely engaged with. You know, I'm curious about, you know, how you manage or seek advice on a topic that is so near and dear to all of us, which is salary negotiations. Data has shown Ooh, that yeah. women and people of color don't do well in those conversations because of lack of information. Mm -hmm. And so as you think about your journey, as you think about kind of starting out, you know, working with Spike Lee all the way up to being in the CMO position at Netflix and how you've navigated, I'm sure, so many different types of salary conversations. How did you approach those discussions with the right information? Is it this 
raw level of transparency with your community where you're able to seek counsel from others? Mm. Did you do your own research? I'm sure it's a combination of a lot of things, but how did you feel empowered to have those conversations to ensure that you were securing the bag for yourself? Yeah, this is another great question because it is one that plagues us so much, you know, because we're afraid. I think most of it is out of fear that we're not getting paid what everybody else is getting paid, right? And so early on in my career, I didn't know how to get that information. I think people are much more open now about salary and sharing the information than they were then. And so there was no comparison and there was no real good data sets to understand, you know, what an average like brand manager should make or like if I'm in it for five years, what am I supposed to make? And so I really didn't have any tools. The only thing I had was my gut, which told me whether or not I felt I was being valued. And it's still the thing I use today because the thing that will kill you and make you super unhappy is to consistently compare yourself to somebody else. We don't have the same experience. We don't have the same background. We don't have the same future. And so even at the same job. So I'm not talking about it like, you know, you should accept a lower amount because, you know, the excuses that they always give, right? Oh, well, that person has more experience than you or they've been at this longer and, you know, they're going to be promoted within six months. So therefore we gave them a bump. I'm not saying that. That's actually the killer. Don't pay attention to any of that. You know, the question is, what do you think you deserve? What is going to make you comfortable in your life? You know, for me, as I have expanded, you know, in my career, It has always just come to me that I wanted to feel like the amount of money I'm being paid is what I feel like I deserve in this job. And sometimes it was really, really high. (laughs) I realized that later, (laughs) you know, but the truth is that like you won't feel good in it unless you think you're being paid appropriately. You know, that's the only trick. And so that's why you've got to ask for the number that might even scare you because you're like, "Mm, I don't know, give me this money. Now, yes, of course, to your point, there is a mix of honesty and, you know, market realism and all that to be considered. And you should, because you can't just pull a number out your, you know, out the sky. I'm going to say something else, but you know what I mean? Out the sky. (laughs) Okay. We're real on this Uh, platform. (laughs) Okay. And so you do have to do a little bit of a balance, but you know, at some point there is no comparison. So then you've got to just decide for yourself, well, what am I worth? What do I think I'm worth in this? And then say that thing. I mean, I learned that lesson when my husband had just passed away and I was really trying to figure out what to do next. I had a very stable job at Pepsi. I felt pretty confident in it, had had a lot of success in it. And I got an approach from Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre about a new product that they were creating on top of Beats by Dre Electronics. They had begun a music streaming service called Beats Music, and they wanted me to run marketing. And I had no idea what to ask for salary. No idea. And they were pretty unconventional themselves anyway, right? They were like, just write it down. You know, if you don't want to say, just write it down. And I was like, huh? I don't think that's how that works, but okay. You know? And in the moment, I just felt inspired. I was like, you know what? I would feel good if I doubled my salary from what I was making at Pepsi. So I wrote that down, slid it across the table. They took one look at it. They were like, all right, when can you start? And I was like, oh, I could have gotten more. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that was my first thought, you know? And it was such a good lesson for me because I was just like, oh, I see. I'm worth more than I think I am. Mm. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know. And so after that, oh, you couldn't stop me. Okay, look, I kept doubling and doubling and doubling. Oh, all the time. I'm like, you can't tell me nothing now. But that's the whole point. I think that we have to understand for ourselves what we think we are worth. Be honest, right? It's like, look, do you have the right experience? Like, don't be out here saying you're worth $100,000 when you know that you are worth 80. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do that now. Because you're going to show up, you still have to do the job. Right. And is your work worth the 100000 You know? And if it is, fantastic. Go for it. And then also, if you think you're worth something, an amount, and you don't get it, then you have to make the decision whether or not you want to go there. Don't go there and be miserable. Don't go there and be like, ah, well, you know what? I should have gotten paid more anyway. And why am I doing this? Because this is not even worth my time. Excuse me. Don't take the job then. Because you're just going to be miserable. You're going to do a bad job and you're going to get fired. That's what's going to happen to you. You know? So it's like you, that's why I just keep centering back to you. What do you feel? How do you feel valued? What is your expectation for the amount of work you're going to do? What do you think you deserve? And then go for that and be happy with it. Absolutely. You're worth more than you think you are. I think that's the biggest Mm -hmm. takeaway that I have from that. I think, you know, again, we don't always get the tools. And so navigating salary conversations is complex. And if you don't have the information, not just what's available, you know, that you can do through your research, but how to have those strategic conversations, because that's exactly what they are. Strategic. I always tell people the recruiter is expecting you to negotiate. So if you don't, you've lost that battle. Absolutely. Yeah. I love what you just said there. You know, I could talk to you for hours, but I know we have to end the conversation (laughs) at some point. So I'll ask you one final question before we break for today, which is, you know, so much of who you are is obviously motherhood, being a mother to my girl, Lael. I love her so much. Whenever you have her on your social media page, she just gives me so much love and energy. (laughs) And there's so many people in our community, in the Black Women to Watch community, who are mothers or, you know, Hmm. eager to explore motherhood at some point in their life. And this balance between motherhood and showing up in your professional life, you often hear sort of conflicting messages. And it sounds like, as you mentioned earlier, you've heard some of these things as well, which is don't talk too much about your family life or personal life because it can stunt your growth. You know, people don't want to know that you have aspirations to expand your family because they're looking for someone who can lead and we're going to need you all the time and this and that. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in short, the question is, you know, how have you balanced, you know, something that is so profoundly important to you, which is your beautiful daughter and also your career? Mm -hmm. And how have you been able to show up fully in both? I don't know how else to Mm -hmm. ask that question. I mean, it's a weird question to even ask, but I think for women, we often feel like we can't. Yes, yes. No, it's a great question. It's such an important question. And we do need to dialogue about it more. We need to be more honest about it, you know, honest about the difficulties in it. I think this is a kind of a question of balance, you know, which is also such a hard one because it's very personal, right? It's like what you require is different from what I require and different from what she requires, right? And so there are a couple of things that have happened again along the journey. You know, I think the main message here is that like, this is a journey, you know, there's not one lesson you learn and then you're done. You continuously improve upon it. You get better at it. And then that way you become the best at it. So for me, the balance and the thought about how I show up has been born out of a number of things. Very early on, when I was thinking about motherhood, I had a senior woman at the company I was working for who told me that I shouldn't tell anyone 
you know, for the reasons that you just said, that people would think that I wasn't ambitious enough. And she knew I was ambitious. She knew I wanted to get to the top. And so she was like, you know, also it could slow you down because it might distract you, you know, from what you're trying to do. And I took that advice because I was like, oh, yeah, you might be right. You know, I need to get to a certain level before I become a mom. Right. And so I did wait. I waited a number of years. And then I was like, oh, okay, no, I think I need to have a baby soon. <laughs> and plus my husband really wanted a kid too. So I was going to make this decision. And I had my baby. And then the advice was don't put the pictures up, mm. you know, because again, it would look like you're being distracted by this one. And then a few years after that, you know, when, of course, it's like the shuttle back and forth between school and the play dates and the after school things. And then when I became a single mom and I, you know, would have to travel for work and I'm like, how am I going to do this? These other men are able to leave for like a week, week and a half at a time. I cannot do that. It's not possible for me. And so then I had to make choices like, OK, if I'm going to go to Europe for a meeting, I can only be away for like three nights at max. So then I would have to do the things like take that red eye flight, get off the plane, go straight to the meeting, do the meetings, do the dinner, have the next day full of meetings, do the dinner, have the next day full of meetings, do the lunch, catch a flight back. Right now, that might sound really crazy to some people, but for me, it was necessary I'll tell you another one like that. When I was building Apple Music, because we had been acquired by Apple when I was at Beats, and it was necessary to be in Cupertino, which is up north California, not, you know, in L.A. where I lived. And I had just moved with my daughter when we had been acquired. And so I needed to be present, right? It's like everybody else was present in Cupertino at Apple headquarters. I could not be in L.A. all the time. And they would go up and stay there from Monday through Friday. And I knew I couldn't do that. So I would literally take a flight at, well, first I had to negotiate with my daughter's school. Um, they would accept her at 715. I could make an 820 flight to Cupertino. And that means I could probably walk in the door of a meeting at nine o'clock. Oh, I'm sorry, at 930. Work all day, leave at five, catch a 620 flight back home. I could walk in the door at eight o'clock o'clock at night and her bedtime was 8 30. Wow. And I did that every day for three years, every single day. And again, that sounds crazy to some because they're just like, oh my God, how can you put yourself through that? But, but, but I would not have been able to manage my job and what I needed to do at the job if I wasn't home at night. I could not do that. So sometimes you got to look at the balance of what it is that you are able to do. The self-awareness of like, what's going to make me feel happier, right? Some people would say, oh no, okay, look, I need to just be up there and focus on the work and maybe I'll do it in four days and then come home on the fifth day. But I would not have been able to do that. And then there's the forgiveness of self for the things that you're not able to do. Because yes, of course, those guys up there, Guess what? When I was rushing to the airport to catch that 620 flight, they were going to go to drinks together. Yeah. So I was missing those times. And the next morning when we were all like in the conference room and they'd be like, oh, you won't believe what Lulu did last night. And I'd have missed it. Right. You know, and I had to forgive myself for that, not beat myself up for that. At the same time, there were after school things that Lael needed to do that I would have to have a friend or my mom or my sister or somebody else pinch it for me. And so I could make it. Those bake sales, I had to buy them from the store. I was not baking cookies fresh. So I had to forgive myself. 
for not being able to always show up. Now, I think for me, I have felt very validated in the successes I've had in my career and the intentionality that I have in the time with my daughter. It made me sharper. When we are together, I do not waste the time. It goes back to the question you asked at the beginning. I don't waste those times because I know how precious they are. I don't have enough of them. And so I'm like, look, do I want an ambitious career? Do I want a successful career? Do I want to be the biggest boss? Yes, I do. I'm not even as high as I want to be yet. There's still places I want to go. Yes. And that's going to require more of me. And so that means that Lael's 12 now. There are things she still needs from me. And so those moments when we are together, I am locked in. I'm not distracted with my phone. I'm not over here trying to answer emails. If it's an hour, she's got it. And she knows that. Mm. And then on the other hand of it, this is why I bring her in. Because she was as little, she was four years old when my husband died. Mm-hmm. And I had to, and this is going to sound really crazy. I had to bring her into the decision-making, right, of my time. So that she understood how important she is in that. And so things like we would look at my calendar, you know, for the week or for the month, depending. Because, you know, distance of time sometimes was hard for her when she was little, when she was younger. But I'd say, okay, mommy has to be gone for these days. Okay, or I'm not going to be able to make these things. What of these choices here are really important to you? And I would do that. It's like early as four and five. Like, what is the most important thing to you? Because I'm going to miss some things. So what is it? And she will be like, you know, going to the ice cream shop on Friday. Okay, fantastic. Circle that. Mommy will not miss that. Right. And then I would have to intentionally make sure that I didn't actually miss that thing. And she still does it now. She girl knows my schedule better than I do. (laughs) You know, and she'll say like, yeah, like, you know, like I want to make this trip. I want to go shopping or I have this play date or I have this swim meet and I want you to be there. I want you to cheer. And then we'll agree on the things that I can make and the things I can't make. And then she feels empowered. So I think it is this idea of like, what does it actually mean to you? Like, what are you got to take the power in the balance in what is going to make sense for you in your life? What I just described doesn't work for a lot of people. But it works for me because I feel fulfilled. And so how do you feel fulfilled in your life? And what is going to make you happy? And that's the correct answer. I love it. Thank you so much, as always, for sharing this just authentic journey to discovery that it sounds like you're even still on that journey, which I love that you're able to share that with us because people think there's an end goal. And as long as you're breathing and living and you have goals and aspirations, you will continue to learn on that journey. So thank you. What I will say to you before you go is we did our research and we know you have a birthday coming up. So happy early birthday. Oh, we wish thank you, the you. Best. I know, right? <laughs> oh, thank you. Number 45 is loading. It's, it's loading. Oh, I it's am. loading. Loading. I'm ready for it. So excited. <laughs> well, I wish you a wonderful 2022. Of course, we will stay in touch. Thank but you. I just, I've yes. always enjoyed learning from you every time. It's sort of like filling my cup every single time we connect. And so thank you for just your willingness to share with my platform, with all of the amazing women who will hear this episode. And we are constantly cheering you on. Thank you. I'm so proud of you, Lauren. I'm so glad for all the things that you're doing. And I continue to cheer you on. So thank great you, job. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Black Women to Watch. We hope that you're leaving with helpful nuggets of inspiration that can propel you even further into your journey. Now, if you like what you heard, take a moment to follow us on Instagram at Black Women to Watch and leave a comment sharing your feedback on this episode. 
and also share this episode with all of your friends so that they can be a part of the conversation as well. If you have an idea of a guest that we need to host on this show, be sure to visit our website at www.blackwomen2watch or hit us up in the DMs on Instagram and let us know who we need to invite on this show because we're always looking for more transformational inspiration that can help us all in our journey. Another episode is on the way next week, but until then, stay inspired. Stay inspired.